It's a brand new year for investors. Motley Fool Money starts now. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best thing in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Motley Fool Senior Analyst Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. It is our 2023 preview. We've got stocks to watch, stocks to avoid, CEOs on the hot seat, and of course, as we do every year, we're going to make a few reckless predictions. But Matt, let's go wide to start with. What is an industry that investors should be watching in the new year? I'm going to be a bit of a homer on this one, Chris, but because you know I like real estate. But I think REITs, real estate investment trusts in general, are one area the market investors really need to pay attention to. They're trading at huge discounts to their net asset values as a whole. REITs tend to do quite well during inflationary times and periods of higher interest rates. That might not seem apparent right now, because a lot of them are really beaten down. And that's really the point. I'm seeing some of the best valuations in years. You can find a slew of very strong REITs paying 5% plus dividends. And maybe that doesn't sound very good in a time when you know risk-free treasuries are trading at 4% yields, and you can get those and not have to worry about any risk. But with REITs, you also get growth, you get earnings power, you get assets. These are companies that are growing their net operating income, growing their dividends over time. And I think if you look back, late 2022, early 2023, I think this is going to be a great time to pick up REITs and build a sustainable growing income stream for your portfolio. After the stock market we just went through over the past year, 5% growth sounds phenomenal to me. Uh, Jason, what about you? What's an industry you think folks should be watching? I think it's going to be very interesting to see how the retail consumer discretionary market shakes out here. I mean, I think we've got a year coming up here where rates should remain materially higher. I think the prospects for any additional stimulus are pretty much off the table now. We've seen the downside of that. And the consumer is just finding themselves in a bit of a tough for spot now. I mean, I've talked about this data before, but I mean, the personal savings rate now at just 2.3%. I mean, you got to go all the way back to July, I think, of 2005 when it was lower. Uh, credit card balances uh, set to cross over $1 trillion for the first time ever. And more Americans now than ever before are living paycheck to paycheck, 60% today versus 50, 56% a year ago. Um, so I think this is just going to force consumers to be a bit more thoughtful about how they spend their money. And I think it's going to create some winners and losers in the consumer discretionary and uh, greater retail space. Well, and the thing about retail is we're going to get the not the full report card, but we're going to get some early indications late January, early February as some of the major retailers start to share how they did over the holidays. Yeah, and it does feel like while consumers are spending uh, they're starting to Starting to get tapped out, <laughs> you know, and I, so I think we're going to probably see some modest numbers for this holiday season. Not not too good, not too bad, right? Kind of a Goldilocks thing. Um, but but yeah, going forward for 2023, I mean, it's it's going to at least at the front half, it feels like consumers are going to be in recovery mode. All right, let's move on to trends, Matt. What's a trend that you're excited about this year? I think this is one, and of course, you can, I guess we can we can talk about the pandemic as well. But the idea of Reshoring, onshoring, bringing a lot of manufacturing back to the U.S. There is a real thing of moving from what was the just-in-time manufacturing of recent decades to just-in-case manufacturing, and you know we got to a situation post-pandemic where we were dealing with all these supply chain pressures, inventory problems, logistical issues, 
And I think there's a greater sense among companies in the United States that manufacture that, you know, we need to bring some of that back home. We need to bring some of that back to the U.S. And there was a recent survey by Thomas Company that did uh, surveyed 709 manufacturers, and 83% of them said they were either likely or very likely to bring some of their manufacturing back to the U.S. And I think that's a big trend. I think the Taiwan Semiconductor plant that they're building out in North Phoenix, the major investment they're making there. Now, that's a foreign company, but that's, a, that's I think, a good poster child for what this trend could be like in the years to come. And if, if even just 5 or 10% of the manufacturing that was outsourced in the previous decade comes back, um, you're talking massive job growth, massive investment in the country. Well, and it was the pandemic, and it was also early in 2022 with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, you know, as you indicated, there are a lot of companies that were figuring out where they were getting all their different parts from. That's right. That, that and that's another big catalyst, I think. What about you, Jason? A trend you're excited about? Yeah, keeping my eye on connected TV, right? The CTV we talk a lot about here, uh, the advertising that comes with it. Uh, for example, I mean, it's the company that really benefits from this is the Trade Desk. You search through their analyst day uh, transcript from October, and just the, the term CTV was mentioned 89 times. Uh, it's just a big driver for their business, and it's, 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 it's accelerating. You see, most of the big traditional media Media companies uh, noted back at the beginning of 2020 that they felt like this they had, they had time right. This was going to be sort of, of a seven-year process and seeing us flipping away from the cable model and more towards connected TV. And so they were kind of preparing their investments accordingly. But what we're seeing now is this is really accelerated more quickly than they even estimated, and ultimately they view this as something that they have less than three years really to make this transition fully to adopting that connected TV strategy. And when you look at the past versus the future, I mean, before you had Roku, Hulu, and YouTube, which made up 46 percent of U.S. connected TV ad market in 2020. Now that's down to about 33 percent, and it's not because they're losing. Uh, business because of poor performance is because we have more players in the space now than ever before. I mean, you've got Peacock, Paramount Plus, Netflix diving in, Disney Plus, Amazon, among others. Um, and so you see this over the top ad spend market. It's poised to grow from $6.3 billion this year to just over $11 billion by 2024. A lot of money being spent in this connected TV market, for sure. And I think that's one that uh, investors ought to keep an eye on. You look at the early data that we've gotten out of Netflix and their initial foray into the ad tier. It's kind of starting off slowly, but um, you know maybe that gives them something to build on. I think so. And I mean, honestly, I, I I'm not surprised at all by that. They really they really put this thing out there very quickly. And you know we always refer to Reed Hastings as the smartest guy in the room when it comes to streaming, but. This is a reactive move for them to, to incorporate an advertising tier, right? Maybe he's not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to actually building an ad-supported platform, but he's still a really smart guy. I think that you give him a little time, they'll roll this out. It'll be very effective and a nice contributor to their business. Every year we see CEOs leave, either of their own accord or they're pushed out. Um, when you think about 2023, Matt, uh, who's a CEO whose seat is getting warmer? Definitely getting warmer, not hot, but getting warmer. Andy Jassy, CEO of Amazon. This is a little unfair. Yeah. The guy's only been in the seat for about 18 months. But if you think about some of the great leadership handoffs in history, and I'm talking you're going from a, a legendary, iconic CEO, maybe a founder, giving the reins to someone else, it generally doesn't go well. And I'm thinking back to you know Jack Welch to J Jeff Immelt, Bill Gates to Steve Ballmer, Howard Schultz, literally anyone at Starbucks, <laughs> um, and unfair, but most recently Bob Iger to Bob Shepek, which did, you know. But 
and it, the only one I think the only one in, in recent history that, that's worked out in my mind is, is Steve Jobs to to uh, Tim Cook, which I think is everyone agrees. Oh, Matt it's been Greer a huge would success. push back on Craig Jelinek has been uh, quite quite an effective uh, ineffective CEO for Costco, taking over for Senegal. Yeah, that's that's that a, was good a little too. while back though. No, nope, that's a good one too. So uh, anyway, it's, it is hard to find good examples. So I think this that automatically puts pressure on Jassy. But remember, he he's coming from AWS and he does a spectacular job there. But now he's trying to right size this massive retail operation at Amazon. And I just think, you know, how much of a leash are shareholders going to give him? The stock's down quite a bit since he took over. Kudos to Jeff Bezos for kind of getting out near the top, just like Bob Iger did a couple years ago. But I think it's a big challenge for him, and it may not go as easy as, as people think. What about you, Jason? Have you ever noticed that Jassy sounds like Bezos? Like the their voice, their intonations, their every like if you just close your eyes and listen to an interview with Andy Jassy and then listen to an interview with Jeff Bezos, just close your eyes, you listen to they they really sound alike. Does Jassy have the maniacal laugh too? I, I, that's where I think <laughs> that's they what he differ. needs. That's what that's, he's missing. That's what he's missing, right? But <laughs> otherwise, it's really interesting. Maybe that's just because they work so closely together for so long. But um yeah, I, I think like Maddie, I mean, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a hot seat, but it is getting warmer. Jeff Lawson at Twilio. Uh, Twilio is a good business in the suite of offerings that it has, but now is the time for them to focus on making some actual money. Um, the clock is ticking. Investors are ready. It was a key narrative of their investor day in November. Um, one thing they can do to help this cause bring that stock-based compensation down. That's that's something that uh, we see with a lot of these with these tech businesses that that come uh, come to the market so quickly. You know, you got to attract. Uh, 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 Capable workforce and stock-based compensation is a way to do that, but but they have committed to bringing that down. They have committed to delivering full-year non-GAAP operating profitability starting in 2023, and and that's the next step, right? I think investors will view this business a little bit differently once they hit that target, but they got to hit that target, right? It's one thing to say it; it's another thing to do it. And if we see signs that this isn't going to happen, I mean, Lawson's going to have some serious questions to answer, and he's protected with the dual-class share structure, uh, but that 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 doesn't stop those questions from coming in that seat uh, from getting warmer. Uh, Maddie made the joke about how. Schultz at Starbucks, but let, let me just suggest that I actually think that Schultz, as the interim CEO, is actually on the hot seat for the first three months of 2023 because uh, Laxman Narissiman takes over on April 1st as the CEO, and I think Schultz needs to hand him the keys to the corner office, take a bow, get off the stage, <laughs> and disappear forever. <laughs> and if he doesn't do that, it's just causing problems for the next That's guy. Probably right. Up next, a few stocks with upside potential and a few stocks with, you know, the opposite. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Matt Argersinger and Jason Moser. It is our 2023 preview. Matt, what is a stock or industry that you think is poised for upside in 2023? So I mentioned Andy Jassy a little while ago. He had a warning about excess capacity in the warehouse space in Amazon's warehouse space back in the spring, which really, I mean, cast a shadow over the uh, the warehouse real estate industry. Uh, all all of the REITs in that space were down have been down 40-50% since he made that proclamation. I think investors read too much into that. I think we still have a dire need of more warehouse and fulfillment space in the U.S. in particular. E-commerce is still going to take retail market share over time. More and more companies are adopting omni-channel sales approaches to their businesses. And if I'm right at all about that reshoring onshoring trend, 
we're going to need more manufacturing and warehouse space in this country. And so if I look at companies like Prologis, the biggest industrial REIT, Easterly Government Properties, one I like a lot, Stag Industrial, I think those are all industrial REITs that are poised to do really, really well in the years to come. Jason, what about you? Well, yeah, uh, continuing on with my excitement about connected TV, uh, I think the trade desk is poised for a, a better year this year. I mean, like like many uh, stocks, it's, it's down around 50% this year. Just saw its shares get cut. You'd, ha- you'd hate to think it's going to be a worse year. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I hope not. I mean, the, the nice thing about trade desk is it's a profitable business, right? I mean, it makes money. They've, they've crossed that hurdle and, and left it in the rear view. I mean, they continue to invest in the business, but it generates cash, it makes money. And so it's, it's a little bit less of a spend speculative type of investment. But again, you look at the the tailwinds forming in connected TV and you look at the role that the trade desk plays in it. I mean, they'll be working very closely with Disney on its offering, um, it, calling for around $490 million or better for this final quarter of the year. That would peg them at around $1.5 billion in revenue for the full year, up from just under $1.2 billion a year ago. Uh, smart leadership in, in co-founder Jeff Green. It's a business that I own personally in my portfolio, uh, and it just feels like when it, whenever you think of, of the tailwinds and connected TV, one of the first companies that comes to mind, it comes to my mind, is the trade desk. Uh, Matt, what is a, a stock or an industry either to avoid or at a minimum keep on a very short leash? So I don't think this is pushing back on on Jason's connected TV idea because I think the advertising interplays is different than what I'm talking about. But he said it earlier with so many new players in the space. I mean, if you, if you go back 10 years ago with streaming TV, I think you had Netflix and HBO, and then you had all these kind of nascent emerging players. Well, now you have Prime Video, which is huge. You have, he, Jason mentioned, Peacock, Paramount+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Apple, Hulu, YouTube TV, <laughs> which I think just is going to bid 2 to $3 billion to get the NFL Sunday ticket, uh, as, we, as far as we know. But I just feel like there's so many competitors now, so many choices, only so many hours in the day for someone to really, you know, consume all this amazing content that's being made. And meanwhile, that content is becoming more and more expensive to make, including especially the live TV stuff like the sports. And I just worry that the industry players themselves, um, we might be heading to a marginal profit of zero. Uh, over time, unless there's consolidation, unless there's a change, because right now I think there's just too many players, and I think you are the consumer is getting to the point where it's like, wait a second, I've got five or six of these things. <laughs> I only really watch one or two. What am I doing paying for all this stuff? Well, and we've seen in 2022, we've seen CEOs. Uh, you look at David Zasloff at uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, just talking about the cost of content. Oh, and yeah. In some cases, just saying, "No, I'm not writing these checks for everything for the rest of time." Bob Iger has hinted as much at Disney as well. So, if you think about sort of larger companies like that, it makes it even tougher for the you know the Paramount Pluses of the world. Right. I mean, I think it's an amazing. It's been an amazing time as a consumer of entertainment. I just think it's going to be a tough time. For the entertainment companies themselves. Jason, what are you keeping on a short leash or avoiding altogether? Well, Chris, you know how I feel about buy now, pay later. Um, not a big fan. I, not the biggest fan <laughs> in the world. I mean, I, I, I think there are reasons to be concerned. Uh, you go back to just the middle of the year, uh, Klarna, which is one of the bigger players in this space, is sort of a pure play buy now, pay later platform. They raised $800 million in new funding at a $6.7 billion valuation. Now, that sounds great until you recognize that the previous 
previous year, that valuation stood at $45.6 billion. That's that's so I mean, that is insane to think of. And, and when you look at the other businesses out there that are playing in this space, I mean, PayPal kind of building its own homegrown offering and, and benefiting from it a little bit. But then you look at something like Block, where Block made that afterpay acquisition, $30 billion. Oh, um, I mean, the gross merchandise volume for their for their buy now pay later platform was $5.4 billion this most recent quarter. That was up just 10% from a year ago. Um, it just feels like this is a lifeline when you're running out of options. And that's never a good thing. And there was a study conducted by researchers at the University of Washington, University of California, Irvine, and the Singapore Management University. They found that buy now pay later services, using these services, results in more bank overdraft charges, credit card charges, and credit card late fees. Um, all of these. All of these ding the consumer. I mean, none. none it, it's like buy now, default later. Yeah, That's it, what it is, it's right? essentially it's what it's starting to feel like. And the scary part is that spending with buy now, pay later platforms with these tools, it's projected to reach one trillion dollars by 2025. I just, man, I just, I just don't feel like that ends well. I just don't. <laughs> Let's go to the other end of the spectrum, Matt. What is a, a stock that uh, that you're just not worried about? Maybe it's not shooting to the moon, but um, you're not checking on it every week. No, it's it's Blackstone for me. It's a stock I've owned for a little bit now, and they, they just they've been in the news lately for some wrong reasons. Uh, they slowed the rate at which investors could withdraw from one of their big funds. That spooked a lot of investors. You saw Blackstone stock drop quite a bit. This is one of the smartest, best asset managers on the planet with a great track record. This is normal course of business for them when, when times get a little distressed. I'm not worried at all, at all about Blackstone. I think they're going to be just fine. Jason, what about you? Home Depot. That's the one that stands out to me. I used 2022 as the year to actually establish my position in Home Depot, bought up my retirement portfolio with the intention of holding it, uh, hopefully forever. I'd like to be able to pass that one on if possible. But, uh, you know, if you go back to our preview show for 2022, I actually, my, my, the, the industry or stocks that I was excited about was home improvement. Um, and interestingly enough, Home Depot and Lowe's have both underperformed this year, underperformed the market. Uh, and obviously, what's been a very difficult, difficult year. Uh, but again, like I said, I use that as an opportunity to, to build a position in Home Depot. Just the home improvement space is so resilient. It's very reliable. Um, housing is just going to be something that underpins our economy for the rest of our days. And, and Home Depot and Lowe's uh, stand to benefit tremendously from that uh, through time. I'll just add in Johnson & Johnson. It yeah. actually outperformed the S&P 500 by about 15 percentage points uh, in 2022. Um, they're splitting off the consumer business uh, in November. Um, uh, yeah, not worried at all. Our 2023 preview is going to roll on after the break, so stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. It is our 2023 preview, which I'll just point out we're recording a few days early before the end of the year. So just do us a favor and keep that in mind in case there are any last minute announcements from any of the companies that we talk about. Um, the way the market has gone in 2022, obviously not fun for us as investors, but it does offer 
a nice advantage that we have as long-term investors, and that is the fact that there are a lot of great companies out there that are back at levels that they haven't been at in years. Our investing team actually put together a report of five companies that have all fallen below $49 a share, and the report is free. You can get it just by going to fool.com slash report, and you just get immediate access to the report, which I will point out creatively is called Five Stocks Under $49. So, shout out to whoever named that report. <laughs> Again, just go to fool.com slash report. Jason, we're going to start with a round of fill in the blank. In 2023, blank is going to surprise a lot of investors. I think that Salesforce uh, is going to surprise a lot of investors in the good way, not the bad way. Chris, let's be, let's be glass half full. Um, it sounds like a broken record, but yeah, tough year. Stock is down around 50% this year. Um, we have seen just a mass uh, leadership exodus from this company recently. Mark Benioff lost his co CEO, Brett Taylor. I think it was the second co CEO in three years. Uh, Stuart Butterfield from Slack, Tableau president, CEO Mark Nelson. I mean, there's a Bloomberg report that at least a dozen. In the company's leadership ranks, have announced resignations since October. I mean, this is just raises a lot of questions as to what really is going on inside the building. There, they're starting to feel some heat on margins. Investors demanding a little bit more on the profitability side. I think Benioff's up to the task. I think he's. I think he's taking a lot of this very seriously. It does look like they are assessing the workforce and trying to maybe right size the business as well. And I think that all will ultimately work out well for shareholders. Very good business. Just just a very tough year. Matt, it can be a company, a CEO, an industry. What do you think it's going to surprise investors? I'm actually going big macro here, Chris. I think I think inflation. Is going to surprise a lot of investors, but the opposite way. I think, I think by the second half of 2023, we're actually going to be talking about deflation more than inflation. I think you see a lot of the big headline inflation numbers kind of rolling over now, especially on the commodity side. I think rents are, are really slowing. Housing prices, we know, are kind of probably going to come down a little bit. And so, and you know, if we if we do get an economic downturn, which a lot of people are pointing to. We could be in a situation, I think, by the second half where we are in a recession and the concern is no longer inflation, it's deflation. And who knows at that point, because I never know what they're doing, what the Fed might be doing <laughs> to interest rates or where the interest rates might be in the economy. But I think there's probably, at this point, because inflation has stuck around a lot longer than we think, that a lot of investors assume that that's going to be the case. They're going to be, you know, we're going to have years of elevated inflation. I think, I think signs point to it might be the opposite. Well, if it's any solace to you, no one really knows what they're doing over there. <laughs> that's right. There you go. <laughs> All right, Jason. This time next year, I think I'm going to regret not owning blank. Probably CrowdStrike. Um, cybersecurity for me is just a tough one to understand fully. Threats are always changing, and I just I fully know that I'm not an expert in this space. And, and as such, I probably won't buy shares of CrowdStrike either, just because it's not a business I'm fully comfortable in understanding. Now, with that said. This is clearly a business that's that's making making uh, making waves in the space. I mean, the enterprise clients. I think the stock is having a tough time right now because enterprise clients are are being very thoughtful about their budgets and they're they're not spending as much right now. Um, but but the business itself. I mean, they combine machine learning and AI and behavioral analytics. Uh, strong leader at the helm. They've got uh, what co-founder CEO George Kurtz. Uh, he has a lot of experience in the space. Um, and and I think that. 
the nature of cybersecurity is such, it's not optional. It is a requirement in this day and age, and that is only going to become more the case as time goes on. So, you see CrowdStrike obviously having a difficult year. Uh, I think that ultimately changes down the road. Um, again, though, for me to get exposure in that cyberspace, I almost feel like I would just need to buy an ETF and call it a day. But earlier in the show, we were talking about connected TV and advertising. I, you know, pulling back on marketing spend, that's a lever that a lot of businesses across a range of industries are pulling. To your point, cybersecurity. Don't cheap out on cybersecurity. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, you get what you pay for in that case. Uh, Matt, what do you think uh, people are going to regret not owning a year from now? Well, I think I'm going to regret probably not owning Prologis. And, and this is me being silly with stock investing in the sense that I've been waiting for a lower price. It, this stock, I've been kind of anchoring to the $100 stock price on this company. It's like, as we're taping, it's like $110. It's the world's biggest REIT, I think, at this point. It's certainly the world's biggest industrial REIT. And for all those things I said earlier about the need for more warehouse space, uh, rents in that, in that space are going to be growing uh, bonkers. And uh, it, it is just such a well-managed company throughout decades. It's been a huge outperformer. And uh, you know, I, for whatever reason, I tend to own the smaller REITs in that space. And so, I've kind of neglected Prologis. But I know for a fact, probably a year from now, I'll regret not buying Prologis today. Uh, one thing that we see as investors in good times and certainly in recessionary times is larger businesses buying smaller businesses. So, Jason, in 2023, don't be surprised if blank buys blank. I would not be surprised at all to see uh, Tama Bravo, the, the private equity firm, buy Encino, which is uh, the banking software company. Encino, uh, they have software that automates and streamlines uh, complex processes at, at banks. They, you know, utilize data analytics, uh, AI, machine learning, all that stuff to ultimately enable banks and credit unions to onboard clients, make loans, manage the loan life cycle, um, open accounts. It, it, to me, this seems like a business very much in line. With what Bravo's interested in, right? Um, it wasn't all that long ago they bought Ellie Mae, for example. Um, but but you look at Encino again, tough year, uh, guiding for four hundred million dollars revenue this year. It now at a two point eight billion dollar market cap. Uh, this is something I think that would be well within Bravo's capability. It would not surprise me at all to see this happen. Nothing to do with the Encino Man, great <laughs> early '90s comedy movie. So good, oh, yeah. so good. So good. <laughs> Matt, what about you? Uh, yeah, don't be surprised if Blackstone, Starwood, insert your favorite private equity company, buys Live Nation. Ooh. You know, Live Nation's been in the news lately. They've got that uh, their Ticketmaster kind of controversy going on. There's calls to break up the company. They own some really great properties. I could I could see private equity company coming in, buying them at a distressed price, spinning off Ticketmaster. And then uh, owning those great assets and, and that performance uh, business, uh, and you know, it's one company I've been looking at to buy. But I feel like there's a lot of controversy around it right now, but not too much for a larger company to come in and probably take out. Yeah, they put those Tay Tay fans on full tilt. Didn't I was they? just going to say, gosh, you don't want to anger the Taylor Swift fans. <laughs> That's right. All right, last one, Jason. One thing you're going to have to give some time to. Is blank. Think of this as maybe a trend or a company, a business that it's like, as you like to say, you're going to have to pack a lunch on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to go back. Uh, speaking of food, I'm going to go back to our Thanksgiving show and my slice of humble pie. Um, app harvest in, in controlled uh, environment agriculture. I think um, this is absolutely 
part of our future in, in our food supply chain. And I think that you know we have a growing population, limited resources. Uh, people care more than ever before about the food that they're eating. And, and, and controlled environment agriculture really uh, is, is one way to, to help shore up uh, food food supply chain issues. Um, it, it is something that's going to take a long time, though. But, you know, my mistake in, in in that investment was was being way too early to the game. Now, SPACs enabled that, right? I mean, for all of the the interesting companies that SPACs have have brought to the market, uh, the nature of SPACs means that they're just coming to the market far earlier than they really probably should. Um, and, and that was you know, that was one of the big lessons I've learned. Now, I, I will say I'm I am still an App Harvest shareholder, and I continue to hold my shares and will continue to hold my shares because I've always viewed this as a ten year investment uh, thesis, right? It just it's it's super long term investing, um, but but it is something. Yeah, if, if investors are interested in controlled environment agriculture, I, I think it's got a lot of potential, but it's also going to take a long time. Two quick things. Um, this is a stock I own as well. Um, it has gotten knocked down to the point where I look at it now and I wonder: Is this a company that two years from now is going to be a standalone public company? Not because I think it's going to zero, but I think that there's enough there. And the stock price is low enough that I'm wondering if someone is going to swoop in and buy them. Yeah, I mean that thought has definitely entered my mind as well. I mean, I, I, I'm not concerned with them as a going concern. They've locked up a lot of really important funding and, and uh, uh, some FDA-backed loans as well. So I mean, they got a lot. They got they've got the right people on their side. Uh, but but it is something that strikes me that uh, very well could be an acquisition target. And if that's the case. Well, you know, so it goes. And the second thing, um, you know, after a year like 2022, uh, I, as an investor, uh, I don't think I'm alone in looking for silver linings. Am I wrong in thinking that a silver lining is that uh, SPACs, as an idea, have really been pushed to the back burner? That we're just, I think, over the at least over the next couple of years, we're just going to see a lot fewer. Companies going public via SPAC. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think you know we're kind of out of that free money environment now, and um, yeah, SPACs, very very interesting opportunities, but but clearly uh, have underperformed in a major way, and I think that just kind of all goes back to the nature of SPACs. You just get these companies far too early in their development; right. they're not established. The contrarian in me does think, though, that that. It, the industry is it's so maligned right now that yeah. maybe that yeah. SPACs going forward now might there might be some opportunities there. Matt, one thing you're going to have to give some time to is blank renewable energy. I think we got all excited in recent years, past decade out, you know, of what solar technologies, wind power technologies, uh, even fusion now, which has been in the news uh, recently, could do for energy production uh, in the in the country in the world. And I just think the reality is we've learned that you know these technologies are fantastic, but they're highly capital intensive. They're not very efficient yet. Still, our power grid, our transportation systems, logistics systems are going to rely on fossil fuels probably for you know the majority of their power generation for for many years still. And so, as excited as we were about these technologies and what they could do for the environment and for the economy, I think it's that's one of those areas where we have to step back and say, well, the reality is, hey, oil and gas. I hate to say it, here to stay, probably for a lot longer than we think. Some business shows err on the side of caution, but not us. After the break, we've got our reckless predictions for 2023. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money.
As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger. We're wrapping up our preview for 2023. Reckless prediction time, Jason. We got two categories this year one for business, one for non business. What is your reckless business slash investing prediction for 2023? Well, I think that Elon Musk will abide by the poll and actually step down as Twitter CEO. And maybe that's not so reckless, but Chris. Chris, you know who is going to be the CEO of Twitter when he does step down? Do tell. Sheryl Sandberg. Really? There you go. She's going to leave Meta Platforms. She's already gone. She left Meta. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, with experience with Google, her experience with Meta. Musk has tried to poach her before. He tried to poach her actually while she was working at Meta for Tesla. I think he might get her. Matt? I. Uh, you know, and this is not me. I, mean, I don't want to offend any of the crypto fans. Oh out my there. goodness! Here come the emails. <laughs> oh, here we go. But I do think there's a small but realistic chance that Coinbase Global goes to zero. Zero. And it's not because I, I hate Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. I kind of do. <laughs> but it's really because if you if if you look at their business, the vast majority of their revenue comes from retail investors trading cryptocurrencies, where they earn nice commissions and spreads uh, from that trading. Fidelity is just either just launched or is in the process of launching a crypto trading platform with zero commissions, very low spreads, and I just have this feeling that it's, it doesn't really matter what happens to cryptocurrency prices. The fact is that there's going to be less trading, and that that trading is going to get a lot cheaper. Presents a serious problem for Coinbase, which is still, believe it or not, a ten billion dollar market cap company. Uh, I just think they're headed for a world of pain in 2023. I don't know if they'll go to zero, but I see a lot lower stock price there. I believe this was Ron Gross's reckless prediction on last year's show, um, but this time it's actually going to happen. Berkshire Hathaway in 2023 is going to announce that Warren Buffett is stepping down as CEO. He will stay on as chairman, and because it is Berkshire Hathaway, they will make this announcement in an SEC filing. <laughs> Just an AK. That's it. Just That's an it. AK. Um, the non-business investing category reckless prediction, Jason. What do you got? Well, Chris, money talks, as we all know, and I think in 2023, we will indeed get confirmation that a sequel to Top Gun Maverick is in the works <laughs> officially, but it gets better. Because this sequel is going to star either, or possibly both, Bob Odenkirk and or Brian Cranston. I mean, those two guys make everything better. I know! I know! Now, I'd go see that one. Yes. I'd go see that one. Uh, I think shareholders of Paramount would, uh, Plus would be thrilled with that. Uh, Matt, what do you have for uh, the non-business investing? So I category? think there's going to be a major sports betting scandal that's going to lead to insider trading rules for sports gambling. And, it, and bear with me on this, but if you think about how big the sports gambling industry has gotten, how easy it is, and the millions and tens of billions of dollars that are now in, involved in it. So just imagine you're an assistant coach on the Kansas City Chiefs. You learn that Patrick Mahomes during the week of practice sprains his ankle. All of a sudden, you know that he's hobbled. He's probably not going to rush for the over and under on the 40 yards that he was supposed to do in this in this coming game. You pass it along to some friends. They they bet on that. I just think this present the, the, the industry the way it's evolving presents some serious challenges to insider knowledge, and we might get some regulation just like the SEC regulates stock trading for team executives. But you didn't have to extend beyond that. But yes, certainly for at least at least for team executives. Fascinating. All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar. Our man behind the glass, Rick Engdahl, is going to hit you with a question. Jason Moser, you're up first. What are you looking at? Yeah, one that um, I've been talking a little bit about recently with Emily. 
Modelli um, is Top Golf Callaway Brands. Ticker is M O D G. Um, given my work history in golf, I've always been a bit hesitant to invest in golf because I know how expensive it is, how hard it is, and how a lot of people try it out, they suck at it, and then they <laughs> promptly quit. Um, so it's always been kind of a challenge, challenge from an investing perspective, but. Uh, you know, given given the new name here, Top Golf Callaway Brands, you can you can uh, you can see that they they acquired Top Golf, which I think opens up a new audience to the game of golf. Right, it gamifies it. It's a social thing as opposed to going out there and playing eighteen or nine holes or whatever. I think it just opens them up to a new a new audience. It it, it brings in food and beverage uh, revenue as well. Um, it, 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 I also think it's pretty neat. They have this Golf Plus uh, virtual reality experience, so it's something that I'm digging into for the augmented reality uh, service. And the ticker? Uh, M-O-D-G. Yeah, you couldn't talk me into 18 holes of golf, but you could talk me into a trip to Top Golf. I'd do that with you. Rick Engdahl, question about Top Golf Callaway? You know, I I tried golf, and I sucked at it, so I quit. (laughs) And uh, so, what's in it for me? Well, you need to go to Top Golf. I think that will change your uh, view on things. It, it, it essentially, it's kind of like bowling for golf, right? You can suck at it and still have a lot of fun. Also, food and beverage. Yeah. Matt Argersinger, what are you looking at? Yeah, put this stock in, in the one that I just think is stupid cheap. Easterly Government Properties, ticker DEA. This is a REIT. Now, it's an office REIT, but they lease exclusively. To federal agencies like the DEA, FBI, FDA, VA, and it, you know it's it's essentially you have a seven and a half percent dividend yield, essentially guaranteed by the federal government because that's who pays the rent uh, to Easterly Government. It's a business that's growing because the GSA, which manages most of the government's real estate, is slowly going to a leasing model instead of an owning model. So. I just don't understand why this company is so cheap, tra- trading for seven and a half percent yield. I own shares, and I, I think I want to buy more. Rick, question about Easterly Government Properties? I'm sorry, I nodded off for a second. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's right, that's what you should do if you own Easterly Government Properties. Well, all right then. Uh, I I guess I'm in good shape. (laughs) How'd they get the ticker symbol DEA? Well, I I don't know how they got it, but it's certainly appropriate. It absolutely is. Uh, Rick, you got a stock you want to add to your watch list? Um. Not really. No. no. Not really? You couldn't be talked into food and beverage and uh, a round of Top Golf? No. Well, I guess so. Sure. Beers for the on watch me. list. For right. the, uh, well, now you sold. Yeah, I mean, I caused him to fall asleep. It's my fault. I knew I to pull there. I know if someone's going to be buying the beers, it better be you because you got good taste. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate hey. that. I think it uh, it also says something about the golf industry that, given your experience working in it, you're like, yeah, this is not necessarily a great place to invest. It's it's a tough one. It's like grills. You know, I love my Traeger, but I'm not buying that stock. Jason Moser, Matt Argersinger, guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. That is going to do it for this week's Motley Fool Money Radio Show. You can drop us an email, podcasts at fool.com. That's podcasts at fool.com. The show is mixed by Rick Engdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey.